happening. Well, this morning I'm excited. We're going to continue uh, our sermon series entitled Fight for Your Field. And we began last Sunday really kind of unpackaging a message on spiritual warfare. And if you want to look with me in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says this. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We got any believers in the house today? Amen. Any believers online? Why don't you put it in that box? I'm a believer today. 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, the Apostle Peter, look what he says. He says, be sober, be vigilant, be alert, be aware, basically, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. So let's look at that first point. It's a kind of a recap real quick from last Sunday. We said the battle for your eternal soul, your spirit man, right, has already been won through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're born again, you win. Can I get an amen from somebody? If you're born again, you win, right? You are a victor because of what Jesus Christ has already done through his death and his resurrection. However, the battle for your life literally happens every single day, right? So the battle for my eternal soul, my spirit, has already been won through the finished work of Jesus. When I am born again, I win. Come on, somebody. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven forever with the glory and goodness of God. But every day we are at war, right? We are in a supernatural spiritual battle and Satan is now warring not for my eternal soul that has been saved, but he's now warring for my daily life, right? He wants to win the battle for your daily life because we talked about it last Sunday because he wants to steal your influence. He wants to steal the fruit of your field. He does not want your life to have impact and influence on other people. He is not too concerned about you getting saved and living in a Christian bubble, right? Where I'm just safe and secure and enjoying my little Christian life and I'm happy as I can be because I'm going to go to heaven. He is not overly concerned by, about you living in a Christian bubble, but he is very much concerned about your life impacting and influencing other people's lives. And we recognized something last week. We recognized that every day is not a battle. Can I get a praise God for that? Aren't you glad every day is not a battle? Every day all hell doesn't break loose every day, right? Sometimes it does. And when the battle breaks loose, you know you're in a battle. Nobody has to tell you because all heck has broke loose. And you know I am in a battle. Every day, though, praise God, is not a battle. But every day we are at war. And we talked about using kind of the analogy from the Civil War. We talked about recognizing that about 10% of the time we're on the battlefield and then 90% of the time we're in the camp. And when we're in the camp, we're supposed to be preparing our hearts for the battle, right? We prepare in the camp so we can win on the battlefield. And we talked about how significant that was in recognizing what we're supposed to be doing. It, it is in the camp that we prepare. It is in the camp that we groom ourselves for the battle. Maybe that's rest. Maybe that's recreation. Maybe that's strategy. Maybe that's planning. Maybe that's preparing. It could be a million different things, but it's in, it's in the camp that we prepare for the battle. And if you don't know that you're at war, then when you're not in the battle, instead of preparing in the camp, you won't be prepared. 
and you'll just live life like you're not at war. See, it's amazing how many times we as Christians are surprised by the attack of the enemy. Have you ever been surprised? I get phone calls all the time, and people are blown away surprised that all hell is breaking loose. Guess what, guys? It should not be a surprise we are at war. How many of you know that those men and women that we just celebrated just a few minutes ago, they were not surprised when the enemy shot at them. They knew they were at so we shouldn't be surprised. But the reason we get surprised by the attacks of the enemy is because we don't live with a warfare mentality. So when we're not in the battle, we think we're on vacation. But you're never really on vacation because you live in a war zone. Now that doesn't mean you can't relax. And that doesn't mean you can't have fun. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy life in the camp because life in the camp's pretty good. But what it does mean, you never forget just because you're in the camp that you're not at war. And any minute, usually at the most unexpected moments, think about that, usually at the most unexpected moments, a bomb could explode. <laughs> and then you'll recognize we are now in the battle. And isn't it those unexpected moments that really get us off guard? Isn't it those unexpected moments that usually knock us back a little bit further? But here's, here's a clue for us today, guys. And I'm still working on it. I'm still in this thing with you guys. Recognizing that I'm always at war helps to remove the surprise of the attack. If I realize that any day could be the day that the battle rages, then every day I can be prepared for the battle. And ambush is one of the greatest schemes of the enemy because it is the weapon of surprise that usually drives us back and hurts us the deepest. But if we can live with a warfare mentality, then when the enemy attacks, we just say, oh yeah, we are at war. <laughs> and I'm ready for this. I may not have anticipated the attack in the sense of how it came, but I'm ready to fight because I'm living with a warfare mentality. We also said last week that your daily life determines not just your eternal reward, but that fruit of the field that we just talked about, right? The fruit of your field is your influence and your impact on other people. And we talked about your friend, right? Your, your field is your friend. Your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. We're fighting for eternal souls. That is huge. I'm fighting for my friends, my relatives, my associates, my neighbors. I'm fighting for the people that are in the closest proximity of my life. The people that I love about, the people that I the love, people that I love and I care about. That's who I'm fighting for. Billy Sonny, you may not know who he is. Billy Sonny was an evangelist in the Billy Graham days. And Billy Sonny led hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people to the Lord. And when Billy Sunday died, he was asked this question, do you have any regrets? And, and the only regret that Billy Sunday had, because when he, when he died, he had two children that were far from God. And one, both of those children ended up dying of some kind of suicide or an overdose from drugs and alcohol. And Billy Sunday made this statement. He said, my only regret is that I wish I would have won my family before I tried to win the world. My only regret is I wish I would have won my family before I tried to win the world. Can I just be really honest with you? I want everybody I know to get saved. 
I want people that I've never met to get saved. I want people that I may not even like to get saved. But I really want my friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors to get saved. I really want my family to get saved. And all of a sudden, we recognize what are we fighting for. We're fighting for that field of influence that's right around us. Not just the places we have to build bridges to go because we need to be building bridges, but it's those places we already have a private access to. Our friends, our relatives, our associates, our neighbors, the people that we see and live life with every single day. Those are the people I want to see come to Christ. And as I reach them, I'm going to build some bridges and reach some other people. But God help us if we win the world but don't reach our own family. Amen? And we said this last week, and we're about to move on, but I want to just reiterate this. We said last week, it's the people that are the closest to you that don't listen to your words. Isn't it amazing how somebody outside that circle can tell your kids something that you've been telling them for six months, and they come home and say, hey, so-and-so said this, and boy, that makes sense. And you're like, duh. Been telling you that for six months. So we recognize, we recognize that the people in your field of influence, those people that are closest to you, they don't hear you. They hear you the least. But listen to me. They may not hear your words, but they cannot deny your example. And it, it, is, it is the integrity, hear me, it is the integrity of your daily life that speaks so loud that they can't help but hear what you're saying. The integrity of your daily life, how you live, the fact that on Sunday and Monday you're the same person, the fact that when the storm is raging or you're on the mountaintop, you're the same person, the fact that no matter who you are and where you are, you're the same person, your faith in God, your belief in God, your hope in God is not based on the circumstances or the people that you're surrounded by, but you are who you are because you are rooted and grounded in Christ. It is that example of integrity that wins their hearts to Christ. Because at the end of the day, when all hell breaks loose in their family, they're going to know who knows how to weather the storm. They're going to know it. And they're going to come to you and say, hey, can you help me? Would you pray for me? Can you teach me how? You weathered the storm. It's your example. That's where your power is. Amen? 2 Samuel 23. The Bible says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Verse 11 says, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. And the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentil. So we recognize the enemy attacks the fruitful field. He wants the fruit of your field. He's not looking for barren land. He's looking for fruitful land. He wants your family. He wants your finances. He wants your influence for Christ. He wants to keep you from impacting other people in a way that brings them to know who Jesus Christ is. And they attacked a piece of ground full of lentils. And look at that next verse. So the people fled from the Philistines. They surrendered their field. Let me encourage you in something today. Don't surrender your field. We have a memorial day because there were men and women 
that were willing to die instead of surrender. Think about that. We have the United States of America because we had people that refused to flee. I'm going to fight for this hill. Literally, they fought for a hill. They fought for a piece of ground. And they said, we're not going to give up this ground to the enemy even if it costs me my life. Let me just say to you, I've decided I'm going to die fighting. I'm going to die fighting. That's the only way to die. I'm going to die fighting for the field of influence that God has given me. I'm not going to flee. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to surrender. I'm going to fight for my family and my friends and my associates and my neighbors, my field of influence. I'm going to fight. I can't fight no more because how many of you know it's the people in our life that's worth fighting for you can fight for possessions and it won't matter at the end of the day you can fight for money and position and it won't matter at the end of the day you can die filthy stinking rich but you're still gonna die <laughs> and it won't matter at the end of the day but if you fight for people there's an eternal reward that'll last forever. Amen? There's an eternal reward. Verse 12 says, But Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Look at that next point. It's your first point on your outline if you're keeping notes today. We have to station ourselves for victory. We talked about that last week. Shammah put himself in the middle of the field. We talked about how you can't flirt with sin, how you can't play with sin, how you can't stand on the edge of the field and easily be pushed over into a place called defeat. You've got to station yourself in the middle of the field. You've got to position yourself so that you have the greatest opportunity to win the battle. So he stationed himself. We have to station ourselves. We have to remember what we're fighting for, right? Our field of influence, we're fighting for eternal souls. And then look at that last part. And we have to defeat our enemy. you got to win. Come on, somebody. you got to win the battle for your daily life. You've got to win. you got to defeat the enemy. And you've got to win the victory on a daily basis. Let me give you a little quote here. Sun Tzu is uh, probably considered the greatest military mastermind to ever live. He wrote a book called The Art of War. I want to give you a quote from Sun Tzu. He said this, If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained you will suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb or literally lose in every battle. I think that's a powerful statement. But I think Sun Tzu was missing a key element, and it's on the screen. The key to spiritual warfare, I believe this, is number one, you need to know your enemy. The Bible says do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. We need to know our enemy. We need to know ourselves, right? We need to examine our hearts. If you don't know your strengths and your weaknesses, then you are doomed to defeat. 
And then what Sun Tzu did not know is that you need to know your God. Come on, somebody. The Apostle Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. The Apostle Paul who suffered, who endured persecution, who endured tribulation, who endured everything that we could even imagine because he was preaching the gospel and never once wavered, never once drew back, never once haltered from the course and the plan that God had for him because he knew his God. He knew in whom he had believed. So next week, we're going to look at those last two. Next week, we're going to talk about knowing our enemy. I'm going to share with you three areas or three ways Satan attacks us. And then we're going to talk about knowing our God, three ways that God strengthens us. But today's an extra lesson. I wasn't planning on this lesson today. <laughs> but let me know God's good. Amen? So he said, Keith, today I want you to talk about knowing yourself. Because we need to know our enemy, we need to know our God, but we need to know ourselves. And the truth is, I think this might really be the key to losing many battles. This might be the reason that we come away defeated instead of victorious is because we don't know ourselves. And so I want to share with you three things today. Three things I think that we need to know about ourselves and that we need to know about warfare that I believe are going to help us win. So look with me at this first scripture out of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this. It says, but he, speaking of God, gives more grace. Let me just give you a great thought right here. There is more grace. Y'all say that with me. More grace. There's more grace. There's more grace. More grace than you've ever experienced. More grace than you've ever walked in. More grace than you've ever imagined. Now the word grace is an interesting word. It, it literally does mean unmerited favor. So grace is a gift that God gives that you didn't earn. But the grace of God also means divine empowerment. It is the grace of God that empowers us to live the life He's called us to live. It's the grace of God that enables us to do the things He's called us to do. So think about it. It is divine empowerment that you did not earn. <laughs> but it's a gift that God gives. And as we're going to see, God gives the gift of more grace to the humble. <laughs> God gives the gift of more grace to the humble. And there is more grace today for your life. But God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So look at that next point, our greatest strength. I want you to see this. This is what we need to know about ourselves. Our greatest strength is our submission, not our resistance. Our greatest strength is our submission, not our resistance. If we fight in the flesh, we will lose. Our greatest strength is our submission to God, not our resistance to the devil. Think about how many times you have fought in your flesh. Think about how many times you have resisted in your flesh. Think of how many times you said, I'll never do that again. 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 And not only did you do it again, you did it again times 10. And then you brought 10 people with you who you led them into the very same sin you said you'd never do. And you helped them do the sin that you said you'd never do. And you multiplied your sin and their sin and introduced more people to the devastation and destruction of sin. But I'll never do that again. 
The Lord gave me a little, little picture, just a simple illustration. He said, Keith, just look at your arm. And, and I looked at my arm. He said, look at your arm. He said, this rep, rep, represent that this part of your arm represents the grace of God. He said, over here, your hand, this is you. And he said, this is what you look like when you're prideful. <laughs> my grace is here, and you're here. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. He said, when you fight in your flesh... When you say, I got this, and I don't need help, and I can do this, and I wish everybody would leave me alone, and it's going to be all right, and it's never going to happen to me, and I'm going to work it out, and I'll figure this out, and I'm tough enough, and I'm smart enough, and I'm, 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 you know, I got so much willpower. Let me tell you something. Willpower, everybody has an end to their own willpower, but there is no end to God's power. And the Lord said, Keith, here you are in pride. Here is my grace. He said, and when you submit yourself, when you humble yourself, when you ask for help, help me, Jesus. Y'all remember Peter walking on the water? He prayed this elaborate prayer when he started to sink. Help! And you know what Jesus did? He extended his hand to him, and then guess what? Peter walked with Jesus back to the boat on the water. And this is what he said. He said, Keith, when you're up here, you're in pride. You're walking in your own willpower. You're walking in your own strength. You're walking in your own intelligence. He said, but when you humble yourself and you submit to me, when you ask for help, when you acknowledge me, he said, all the grace, all the power, all the strength that I have is now yours. There is a free flow of grace. There's more grace. There's more strength. There's more power. There's more joy. There's more of anything that you could need because it all comes from me pride disconnects you humility connects you to the grace of God that is more than enough more than enough and then I asked the question I, I, I as I was studying this and thinking about submission our greatest strength is our submission not our resistance I asked the question I said well how did Jesus do spiritual warfare you ever thought about that how did Jesus do spiritual warfare? The only person to never sin. And think about this. If the devil's on your back, you can be sure he was after Jesus. If the devil's monkeying with you, you can be sure he was monkeying with Jesus. If the devil has targeted you, you can be sure he was targeting Jesus. And so I just thought, I never even thought this. How did Jesus do spiritual warfare? How did Jesus literally win every single battle? From betrayal to rejection to mockery to shame to physical pain to physical discomfort to the spiritual weight that was on him to the demonic temptation and pressure that surrounded him. How did Jesus literally win every single battle? And I mean, when I ask that question, I'm just going to tell you, you'll get the right answers when you ask the right questions. And when I asked that question, immediately the Holy Spirit said he was submitting. Think, think about what Jesus said. Look at the rest of that point there on your outline. Jesus models spiritual warfare through submission. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I only do and I only say what I see and what I hear from my Father. I only do what the Father does, and I only say what the Father says. Look at John chapter 5. 
Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 14, 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own. King James says, not on my own authority. Jesus never said anything that the Father didn't say. He never did anything that the Father didn't do. Why? Because he lived in perfect submission. Remember, submission is not surrender. We surrender to our enemies. We submit to God. Submission connects you. God does not want you to relinquish your will. God wants you to submit your will so that the fullness of life that he has for you. How many of you know God has a unique plan for you? And that only happens when I come down and connect through humility and submission and invite God to help me. Jesus never said nor ever did anything other than what he saw and heard the Father say. What would your life look like if instead of saying what you felt and saying what you saw, what if you started saying what God said? And then I was thinking, just literally driving to church this morning, I'm so, God, I'm so glad God is real. Aren't you glad God's real? I'm driving to church this morning. I'm just talking to the Lord. And, and the Lord reminded me of two things, two things from Scripture. He said, think about how Jesus fought and won. When Jesus was about to be crucified, he's standing before Herod. And you remember when Herod says, don't you know that I have the power to take your life or to release it? You know what Jesus says? You don't have any power other than what the Father gave you. I'm like, man, drop the mic. I mean, you know what Jesus just said? Here's this guy. He is the most powerful person in the city. And he says, don't you know I have the power to save your life? And Jesus, all of a sudden, strips all the power away from this man. Turns the tide and takes authority over the entire situation by simply saying what the Father says. You know what the Father says? All authority comes from God. Woo! Come on, somebody. What would happen if you looked at that person that you thought was trying to torment you and you said, you can't do anything but what the Father allows you to do? You don't have authority over my life. God does. You're not calling the shots. God does. You're not in charge of me. God is. You talk about taking authority over the devil. You, stop, you talk about stop trying to manipulate your way into a raise, manipulate your way into control, manipulate your way into getting what you want. Instead of manipulating and trying to work your flesh and your system, what if you just said what God said? And then I thought about Judas. And here comes Judas. Jesus has been in the Garden of Gethsemane weeping and shedding drops of blood. And here comes Judas the betrayer leading a mob of soldiers, a group of soldiers that are going to take Jesus away, literally to crucify him. And Jesus looks at his betrayer. And if it would have been me, I'd have said, here comes that devil. Here comes that betrayer. Judas, how could you have even thought about treating me this way? How could you stab me in the back like this? How could you deny me like this? I've fed you. I've clothed you. I've loved you for the last three years. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the signs and the wonders. Judas, you devil, how could you? 
But when Judas comes, you know what Jesus says? My friend, where have you come from? My what? Friend. You know why he called him a friend? Because God's a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad God's a friend of sinners? Do you, you, you see, most people don't realize this. The best friend a sinner can have, I'm talking about heathen, wicked, vile, as horrible as horrible could imagine. The best friend a sinner can have is Jesus. Because he won't condemn them, he'll try to redeem them. He'll try to rescue them. He'll try to pull them up out of the muck and the mire of the sin that they have found themselves in. And Jesus looks at his betrayer and he doesn't say what he felt and he didn't say what he saw. He said what the father said. There's a friend. Woo! Man, that's good stuff, guys. How powerful that is. How powerful. You want to win the battle? Then stop saying what you see. Stop saying what you feel. And start saying and doing what Jesus said and did. The Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, do you realize that if you will submit to God, you will never have to surrender to sin or Satan again. If you'll submit to God, you'll never have to surrender to sin or Satan again. I thought, God, that's so, so amazing. Jesus modeled our greatest strength. It's not resistance. It's not my willpower. It's not my determination. It's not my intelligence. It's not my education. It is my submission to God. That is my greatest strength. And let me tell you the good thing about submission. No matter where you are or what you know or what you have, you can always go down. <laughs> you can always go down. You can always humbly bow yourself before the Lord and say, God, help me. Let me just give you a real simple confession. I am, I am totally amazed at how prideful I am. In my flesh, I think I'm pretty humble. And then the Lord just shows me over and over how prideful I really am. And it looks something like this. You ever had something tear up or break around the house and you're trying to fix it and you're trying to fix it and, and now you're Googling it and you're YouTubing it and you're doing this and you're calling your buddies and you're doing all this stuff and, and you work on it all day to no avail. And then you go to bed and then I have this happen. I'll wake up the next morning and I'll think, I never even prayed about it. I never once stopped and asked God to help me fix that. I'm talking about simple stuff. I'm talking about something broke around the house. I'm talking about a car that won't run, right? I'm not talking about super spiritual stuff. I'm talking about daily stuff. And I'll wake up the next day after struggling for hours, go to sleep, won't even think about it. And finally, in the middle of the night, the Lord speaks to me when I'm not yet fully awake because he knows I can probably hear better then. And he says, you never ask for help. You never ask for help. And then I'll say, Lord, would you help me fix that? And it's crazy. That one video I was looking for will be the first video I'll find that morning. That person that I called 45 times will call me back and say, hey, I saw I missed your call yesterday. I'm like, duh, yeah. Appreciate it. It's amazing what God will do when you just say, help. 
You know what the Bible says? The Bible says this. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Be anxious for nothing, but pray about everything. And the Lord spoke this to me years ago. I'm still learning it. He said, Keith, he said, prayerlessness equals pridefulness. The things you don't pray about are the things you're prideful about. Y'all can chew on that one. I got a lot of stories to tell about me. We're going to move on. Ephesians chapter 4. Y'all still good? Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read two translations of the same scripture. New King James says, be angry and do not sin. I love that little phrase. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So sin gives place to the devil. Sin, as we're going to see in NLT, gives Satan a stronghold or a foothold in your life. Look at the NLT version. And don't sin. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Let me just tell you something. You are totally defenseless against the attacks that come from without unless you have self-control within. See, the truth is the devil doesn't have to waste a lot of time on most of us because we self-destruct. Let's just be honest. Some people don't go through any battles. You know why? Because they're tearing their lives down every single day by their own choices and their own decisions. The devil don't even have to help you. Without self-control, you're like a city with no walls. You're defenseless against the enemy. Because if you can't win in here, you'll never win the battle out here. Look at that next point. The second thing you and I need to know about ourselves and about warfare is that your emotions are indicators, not dictators. Your emotions are indicators. Your emotions reveal the climate of your heart and your surroundings. Your emotions are indicators, not dictators. They reveal what's going on. Your emotions tell you what's happening on the inside of you, and your emotions tell you what's happening around you. That's why I love that scripture. Be angry. Get mad, God says. Just don't sin. You can get mad. Just don't sin. You can be sad. Just don't sin. You can be grieved. You can be frustrated, you can be discouraged, you can feel everything you feel because emotions are a gift from God. God created you with the capacity to feel joy and sorrow, sadness and pain, frustration and grief. Why? Because God wanted to give you an internal indicator. He wanted to put a little red light, not on your head but in your heart that says, this is how I am feeling. This is indicating there are positive or negative things going on around me or there are positive or negative things going on in me. And they're indicators. They're not dictators. Listen to me. Listen to the rest of that statement. The moment your emotions cross the line, you are in a spiritual battle. The moment you go from an indicator to a dictator, you're in spiritual warfare. Let me explain. Give me a simple example. Be angry. But don't sin. So you're mad. That's an indicator that something's wrong, right? Something frustrating has happened. And you're angry. That's an indicator. But then you say, let's get revenge. That's a dictator. 
You're sad. That's an indicator. I'm going to cut my phone off and disconnect from the world. I'm not going to talk to anybody for the next three weeks. And I'm going to crawl into a hole. That's a dictator. When the indicator begins to dictate the decisions that you make and the choices that you make and the way that you live your life, you are in spiritual warfare. And if you don't recognize that, you'll try to fight emotion with intellect. You'll try to resist in your flesh. You ever told yourself, don't be sad, don't be sad, don't be sad. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. Because <laughs> the more you tell yourself not to be something, the more you become the very thing you're telling yourself not to be. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by your words. If you don't recognize at the moment that emotion crosses from an indicator to now it's wanting to become a dictator, you just went into spiritual warfare. There is a demonic spirit sitting over your shoulder fanning that fire to push you over the edge. Look at the rest of this statement. This one statement is packed full of truth. Emotional outbursts are demonic and intended to push you over the edge. Think of all the good things that have happened in your life when you blew up emotionally. Didn't take long. <laughs> Because there are zero good things that have ever happened in your life when you blew up emotionally. Zero. None. Never has it been fruitful. Never has it been godly. Never has it strengthened. As a matter of fact, think about this. Satan is a strategic warrior. How many times have you got frustrated on your job and came up and blew up, came home and blew up on your family. They weren't even the root of your frustration. But Satan, who is a strategic warrior, knows that he can fan the flame that started on the job. And when you get home, he's blowing on it. Because he's like a terrorist. Listen to me. He straps a bomb to your chest and he holds a detonator. And he waits, not when you're around one people, not one people, that's not even right words, right? <laughs> one person, praise God. Somebody help me with some ground. He waits when you're not around two people. He waits when there is the greatest opportunity for casualty. And if you don't recognize that spiritual, you'll fight in the flesh. You'll go to the doctor and say, I need another prescription. And I'm not saying you don't need a prescription, but I'm saying you need more than a prescription. I know some people, I say, go get some medicine. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Kelly, praise God, 10 years of depression, medicine sustained her. Until she came to the point where she could receive the deliverance that God had for her. So you may need medicine, but you need more than medicine. You need to understand you are at war. War. This is a war. Look at this last point here. Spiritual victory 
begins with self-control. Isn't it interesting? Galatians 5 says self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. It's what happens when I submit to God. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And this last little phrase, I stole or slash borrowed from our anger management class. So I want to thank Jeff and Melinda Waddell. If you, if, you, if you are interested in anger management, we got an awesome anger management class on Tuesday nights at Celebrate Recovery. Free plug. It's probably too late to get in now, but you can catch the next class. Come on, somebody. Yeah. I actually thought this. I thought I was going to ask everybody, raise your hand if you know anybody that deals with anger. And then I thought, well, that's a trick question because everybody ought to raise their hand. <laughs> so I got to slip into class Tuesday night, the end of class, and, and, I, and I heard this little statement right here. I thought, this is so good. They were talking about anger, but I think it's true to all negative emotions. When you have negative emotions, you can bottle it up, which is not healthy. Because when you bottle it up, you become depressed. You become anxious. You become withdrawn. When you bottle up emotions, right, it, it becomes self-destructive. Literally, literally high blood pressure, literally heart disease. It, it kills you on the inside. Or you can blow up, and we all kind of do that sometimes. And that's not healthy because you end up wounding and hurting the people that you love the most. Or you can crucify it. And here's the good news. The way you crucify it is you just come to Christ. You submit. You submit that emotion to the Lord. God, help me with my anger. I'm really mad. Help me. Help me. Help me. You go from here, I'm angry, to help me, I'm submitting. It's amazing what a help me prayer will do. Help me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me. I feel, I feel depressed. I feel anxious. I feel like withdrawing. I feel like cutting off the world. I feel like I'm going to kill somebody. Lord, help me. Help me. It is amazing. Amazing. Why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Help me, Jesus. That's the best prayer you'll probably ever learn. Apart from save me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, is second place. It's the key to winning the battle. Now look, look with me in Job chapter 1. We're going to look at our last point. Y'all still with me? I need about 10 more minutes. Anybody got 10 more minutes in there? All right. Y'all good. They're still working on hamburgers, I'm sure. Praise God. <laughs> Job 1, 6 through 12 says this. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with him. We're going to talk about that little name, the accuser, a little more next week. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. Y'all grab hold of that word. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him, his home, and his property, and you've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. He will curse you. I want you to see that. Grab hold of that little phrase. I want you to grab hold of integrity, and I want you to grab hold of curse. He will curse you. Now, verse 11. Verse 12, God says, all right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And then if you know the rest of the story, we don't have time to read it. You know the rest of the story. He goes out there and he kills, he steals and destroys all of his livestock, which was his financial wealth. 
And then he kills his seven sons and three daughters, which was his family. So immediately, Satan attacks his finances and his family. That's the first two things he goes after. His finances and his family. Now Job chapter 2. He comes back to God and Job still hasn't cursed God. He still hasn't compromised his integrity. And Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his own life. But reach out and take away his health and he'll surely curse you. There it is. He'll curse you to your face, God. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. And Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, look at this, this is huge. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Job's wife gives us a spiritual revelation. We're going to talk about it in just a second. Look what she says. Curse God and die. And Job says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we accept Indeed, accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Look at the third point. Third thing you know about yourself in warfare. Here it is. Spiritual warfare usually begins externally, but it is intended to defeat you internally. Satan attacks financially, relationally, and physically. Because he wants to steal the fruit of your field. Listen to me. This is still about your influence. If you're saved, then you win. And so the only thing left for the devil to do is to steal your influence and your impact in the lives of other people. How does he do that? He wants to steal the fruit of your field by causing you to lose your spiritual integrity. Now, I want you to hear me. This is huge. You need to understand that spiritual warfare happens in the flesh. Job gives us this amazing picture into the spirit realm. And we see that when Satan has access, when Satan demonically attacks somebody, he attacks their finances, he attacks their family, and he attacks their physical health. It is a demonic attack from the enemy. So spiritual warfare is manifested physically. Now let me just pause. I want to teach you something real quick. Not every physical, financial, and relationship problem is an attack from the enemy. Many times, physical, financial, and relationship problems are the result of bad seed. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. A man will reap whatever he sows. If you sow bad seed, if you treat your family like crap, you're not going to have a healthy family. If you blow your money every time you get paid on frivolous, useless things, you're not going to prosper financially. If you eat like I used to eat and do not exercise, you will die. Okay? So not every physical, financial, and relational problem is the result of a spiritual attack. Many times it's a result of bad seed. But let me give you some good news. You can sow good seed. You can change the harvest. Today you can change the harvest. You can change what you're sowing physically, financially, and relationally. And you can start today producing a new harvest in your life. 
But here's the good news. So recognize, when you are doing the right thing, when you're sowing the right seed, and nobody sows the right seed perfectly, okay? So I'm not talking about perfectly. I'm talking about consistently. When you're sowing the right seed consistently, and all hell is breaking loose in your finances, in your family, and in your physical health, you are under demonic attack. And if you don't recognize that, you'll fight in your flesh. And you'll lose. You'll lose. So you've got to recognize that those things, physical, financial, relational attacks, are demonic from the enemy. And the only way to win a spiritual battle is with spiritual warfare. And this is how you win. You submit. You submit. You fight like Jesus fought. And you start saying, Job, listen to this. So, so Job's wife gives us the key. She says, do you still maintain, fight to maintain your integrity? Because she recognized something. Even though she didn't recognize it, she identified something. Satan was after his spiritual integrity. Because re remember now, we're not fighting for my eternal soul. I've already been saved. Now I'm fighting for my influence among people. So think about this. When I curse... When I curse the God that I've been blessing and serving, I lose influence. See, when all hell breaks loose, when, when you consistently live for Jesus for six years in front of your family, and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and you start cursing the God you said you once believed in, your kids say that must not be real. Jesus is probably not enough. Your co-workers say, man, he's been preaching for the last three years. He came in here today. Why is God doing this to me? Why is God out to get me? I guess God doesn't even care about me anymore. You know what they think? Must not be real. Must not be real. Because anybody can praise God on the mountain. It's when you refuse to curse God in the valley that you build influence. Because storms come to everybody. And here's what will happen. When you maintain your spiritual integrity, and let me, I'm going to boil it down really simple. It is your belief that God is good. If you ever lose that, if you ever lose the belief that God is good, that He's for you and not against you, you will become ineffective as a Christian because if I don't believe God's good, why do I want to tell you about Him? If I don't really believe it, I mean, when all hell's breaking loose, if I don't believe God's good, then I'll not, I'll not speak out, and I'll not live out a faith that draws other people to Him. And that's huge. But here's what I know: if you'll maintain your integrity, because that's what the devil's after, then when all hell breaks loose in your family's life, your neighbor's life, your associate's life, your friend's life. You know who they're going to come to? They're going to come to you. Because they saw something. They didn't hear something. They saw something. It was spiritual integrity. And they knew that you knew what it would take to weather the storm. And you never lost your joy. And you never lost your peace. And you never lost your hope. And you never cursed God. You kept blessing. Bless the Lord.
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy, holy name. Let's bow our heads today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're watching online, I really want to encourage you just to, just to get still before the Lord right now. Two things. I ask these two questions almost every Sunday. The first question I want to start with is simply this. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. You've been born again and you know that you're going to win. But maybe today the Holy Spirit identified something. An area in your life that really is not submitted. You haven't humbled yourself. You haven't really asked God for help. You haven't invited Him into that area. You haven't brought your life down to the place of grace where there's more grace. And maybe today I just want to encourage you just to do business with the Lord right now. Just, just confess it as sin. Lord, I confess it. It's pride. The truth is 99% of our failures can be rooted in our pride. 99% of our defeats can be rooted in pride that we just simply did not humble ourselves and submit to God. So right now, if that's you, you're born again and you know you're going to heaven, then, then right now just, just repent. God, forgive me of that. And then just, just submit. Say, Lord, help me. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my kids. Help me on my job. Help me with my money, God. Help me with the words in my mouth and the thoughts that I'm thinking, God. Help me. Help me. And He will. He's not a million miles away. He is near, He is dear, and He is here today. So if that's you, just go ahead and do business with the Lord right there with every head bowed, every eye closed. The second question that I close with every Sunday is simply this. Maybe you're here today and you realize you're not born again. Well, Pastor Keith, I don't even really know what that means. It means that Jesus Christ, who died for you, has come to live inside of you. That he has sent his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's taken up residence in your heart. You've asked him for your forgiveness and he's forgiven you and he's come to live and dwell in you. That's what it means to be born again. And if you've never been born again, you've never been saved. You've never asked for that forgiveness and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. And if that's you in person or online, I want you just to raise your hand right now. Today, Pastor Keith, I want to be born again. Pastor Keith, I want to be saved. Just hit that little hand emoji online. Type in the chat box, I'm raising my hand. But if you're here in person, you've never been born again, just raise your hand. Just a simple act. Today, I want to be born again. I want to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. I want to know that I'm born again to win. I want to live for Jesus from this day forward. We're going to pray right now together, just a very, what we call a sinner's prayer. But I want to ask everybody to repeat it with me. If you're watching online, this is for you. Let's say it together out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I receive you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Amen. 
All right. Well, we're going to get ready to dismiss. Let me just encourage you this. If you have children, you need to go pick your children up first. Uh, the food, we're going to go through the doors to my left into the cafe. When you enter the cafe, you're going to turn left. There's some desserts right there. We put the good food first. Then there'll be some plates to get your meals. We're going to serve down both sides. We are going to ask you uh, to eat conservatively until everybody else eats. And then you could come back and get seconds, okay? Uh, so we made one hamburger and one hot dog for everybody, okay? So eat conservatively, and then after you eat, you can come back through and eat. And uh, so we're, we're going to bless the food. Y'all ready? Father, we thank you for this food. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for friendship. And we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, back door to my left. You're dismissed. Make sure to go get your keys.